I was getting ready for bed one night and I, I usually get in bed pretty late. And I guess that night I was like, hey babe, I'm not feeling very good. My stomach hurts, um, kind of got a headache and I really don't get headaches. Um, and so I said, well, I'm gonna go ahead and go to bed. So I went to bed and I guess. Yeah, woke me up in the middle of the night, actually having a seizure, um, which he obviously had never had before. So that kind of startled us a little bit. Um, call 911, get him to the hospital, and then that's where we hear that news that he has a brain tumor. Yep, so I had a brain tumor, um, did a MRI. They determined it was uh, the size of a tennis ball um, in the front right part of my brain. So came through the, uh, came through the surgery, um, got to talking to them. Um, they said, good news, it didn't look like cancer, so we didn't actually use the, uh, use the chemo capsule. We got home, um, you know, back in the day when you had voice, you know, voice machines. And so um, we checked the messages um, and it was the doctor and he said, hey, John, um, if you can call me at home um, and gave me his number. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. Doctors don't just give their home phone numbers. And so um, anyway, gave him a call. Um, and that's when he... He gave us the hardest news that we'd ever had. Yep. So, um, said, yeah, it's, it is cancer, unfortunately. And um, so I guess that was probably one of the longest nights we ever had. We uh, called all of our family and said, hey, can you come to the house? Yep. We told everybody we had lots and lots of support. The grace of God, we made it through. Yep. Uh, friends and family and people that we didn't even know um, helping us out. Um, praying for us. That was the biggest support that we had. Mm -hmm. um, we were already um, big on tithing as we received um, financial assistance from all of our uh, family and friends. Yeah, we you just, know, we talked we about just keep, it. Keep and going said, with you know, tithing we, with that money. Money's hard, you know, of course, mm -hmm. you know, medical bills rolling in. Um, but we said, you know what, we just have to trust God. I mean, the math doesn't you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. come out right if you're, you know, working out the math, but uh, through God, I mean, we got it back tenfold. It was like we would give money out here and then you you check the mail and there's, you know, money in the mail. 2010 <laughs> uh, came along. Um, I had quite a bit of back pain. Um, so I went to the doctor and I said, my, my back's really bothering him. He said, okay, well, we'll get you an MRI. So went into the doctor, uh, went in for an MRI, got the MRI, I was coming home one day um, from work and I got a call from a doctor and he said, um, we see a tumor on your right kidney. So we went to the doctor. Um, hey, I've got bad news for you. You know, looks like it is cancer. And so we were like, okay, all right. And he was like, did you hear me? And we're like, oh yeah, we've been here. We've, we've done that. We're fine. You know, God's got us. We're, we're good. So now I've actually have three quarters of the brain. All of this quarter of the brain is gone um, through multiple surgeries. Um, they took out my kidney. I did learn a lot about his um, type of cancer and treatments and prognosis and, um, you know, everything that I read and everything that I wrote about said that, um, that uh, if it was cured for now or he went into remission that um, it would come back about 10 years down the road is the typical time frame. Yeah. Um, but here we are, he had that um, diagnosis in 
2005, mm -hmm. um, and here he still is sitting here. Through all of that, through the grace of God, he has been healed from all of this. Um, tithing has never been something that we have stopped or um, put on hold, even temporarily. Almost it's like a death sentence hearing you have brain cancer, but um, I don't know, I can say you can be okay, you know, because you can either be drawn nearer to God or you can run away. and. That's just what we did. We just knew, drew nearer to him. You know, after the first message I did in this series, John and Christy wrote a note to me and told me their story and how God used something like money. Not insignificant, but definitely temporary. From what I can tell, there's no money in heaven. There's no currency. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but God used something as temporary as money to do something significant in their life to show his faithfulness. Even when you face maybe the worst of news that somebody can face. See, there's an absurdity to that. I mean, you have to admit the story you just heard, uh, it's not natural. There's a supernatural element to us. And I know that every one of us, doesn't matter how you're participating this morning, if you're part of our online family, our north campus, our south campus, we are gathered because at some level we want the supernatural in our life. We want to see God who did things in days gone by to do things today in our lives. We need to be a people who want to see more and more of that. And the reality is that can happen. But for that to happen, we have to have what we've been calling flip the script occur in our lives. This fall, we've been talking about taking on the mind of Christ, and as we take on the mind of Christ, we see more and more of God's promises in our lives. We have to be a people who seek to think less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. Because reality is, the mind of Christ right now is not overwhelmed. It is not depressed. It is not full of anxiety. It is not full of struggle or worry about the future. The mind of Christ is secure. And there's not a one of us doesn't want to walk in that security. That is what God wants for us day by day. But I will confess to you, the journey to get to there is a little different than I think we think it is. Let me explain it to you. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say you have for a moment a friend who is blind, has never been able to see anything with their physical eyes, and they ask you, that friend asks, would you describe for me the color blue? What's your answer? Yeah, utter silence, right? What do you do? Well, you do what everybody does. You Google it, right? Which is exactly what I did. I went and Googled it, and I found out that when someone is blind, they will try to use the other senses to try to give a sense of something like a color, like maybe take them to the ocean, let them hear the sound of the waves, and they describe the color blue through that. And that's great, and they'll use other senses as well. But in the end, let's be honest, there are limitations to that. Why? Because some things in life, we know this must be experienced to be defined and understood. Some things in life just have to be experienced. Like, explain the idea of love to your kid. Mom, Dad, how do I know when I'm in love? Well, when they're 13, your first answer is you're not, right? But beyond that, when you try to describe something, at the end, you'll probably say something to the effect of, you'll just know. Some things have to be experienced to be defined and understood. And I'm telling you, this is especially true in our journey with Jesus. If we want to take the mind of Christ, it works something like this. You see, the beginning of everything about knowing God starts with the cross of Jesus. 
So if you want to know the reality of God, according to Scripture, we start with the cross and the resurrection. You see, if this is true, and I believe that is the ultimate question of human existence, if this is true, this is what makes Christianity different from every other religion, ideology, and philosophy out there. The scripture encourages us that from the cross and the resurrection, we can know some of the reality of of God. In fact, we can know enough of his heart and his goodness that we can say yes to be his follower. Today was Baptism Sunday. We have all these people being baptized. I mean, come on, church. We have seen over 300 people be baptized this year at Beltway Park. That deserves a shout of praise to the Lord. But hear me. Baptism isn't this thing that just says I was cleaned up a little bit. It means I was made new, just as Jesus died and was put in the grave and raised to life. So we, when we say yes to be a follower of Jesus, we are put into the grave, our old man put to death, and we are raised a new person in Jesus Christ. That is done through the cross of Jesus Christ. We can become his follower because we know enough about his heart and his goodness in the cross. But hear this, we're not done. We become a baby follower of Jesus. And the entire process of our life, the entire journey of our life is this. I want to know God more. I want to know his mind. I want to know his heart. And I want myself to become more and more like that. And so the ultimate question we ask is, how can I know God? How can I know the peace that comes from knowing God? And there's a step that happens. You see, based upon what we know about God, based upon the cross, we take another step, and that step is to obey. You see, based on what we know about God, we take a step of faith to obey. But the things that God often calls us to obey don't make sense to us. We, we don't know how they're going to work out because they're counter to the script we've been living by. But every story of faith operates this way. You go back into the Old Testament. How many of you have heard of Noah? Hands up. And the rest of you ain't going to raise your hands today, right? We've all heard of Noah. We have the ark. Noah was called to build the ark. Was it before or after it rained? Before, in fact, you know Noah had never seen it rain? There had never been a thing called a flood. So when God said, I'm going to flood the earth, Noah's going, what's a flood? Yet he built the ark, and then he experienced what God had, and he was able to grow about it. Moses was sent to a guy named Pharaoh. He had no idea how God was going to convince Pharaoh that he was going to let his people go. But Moses took a step of obedience, and from that step of obedience, he saw something happen. You can go into the New Testament. The apostles of Jesus were called to wait in Jerusalem to pray till they received power on high. They had no idea what the power was going to be like. They had no idea what the power looked like. They just had to take a step. They had to obey even when they didn't understand how things were going to work out from that step of obedience. By the way, just a little side note. It's why we're gathering tonight, 5 o'clock, to pray. See, if I ask you right now, how many of you think things need to change in our world? We'd all go, yeah, have you watched the news recently? Well, what do we do about it? We obey. We pray. We give thanks to God. We give praise to God. We cry out to God. You say, well, how's it going to work out? Ah, that's the struggle because we want to know how it's going to work out before we obey And the principle of scripture is we obey based upon we know about God's heart and goodness from the cross and we let him work it out. You see, from that place of obedience, we actually experience God. We experience more of his goodness. We experience more of his heart. From that experience, we have greater understanding. Our mind begins to shift and we know God more. See, this is the cycle of the Christian life. 
This is the cycle we're in. And many of us are saying, I want to know God. But what we want to do is we want to go backwards. We want to go from understanding to experience to obedience. And it's not the way it works. It goes obedience to experience to understanding. And many of us are stuck. We're stuck right here because this step of obedience takes a step of faith. We act on faith by what we know of God. You say, David, how can I do that? The cross. If that is God, and I can trust my eternity to him, I can trust my day-to-day steps with him. So Jesus said it this way. Jesus said to some Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You know what that word abide means? It means to know what God says and to obey it even before you understand it in totality. If you abide in my word, if you obey, then you are truly my disciples. Then, say then, then you will what? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Obedience leads to experience. It leads to understanding, to knowing God more. Obedience unlocks truth and freedom. Are you hearing me? Some things have to be experienced to be defined and understood. And I am telling you, this is true of the entirety of the Christian journey. And it's nowhere more true than this thing called money. In fact, we chose the idea of money because it's just the hardest thing for us to believe God in. You see, God's purpose for money is radically different than the norm of society. Through money, God wants us to know him better. He wants us to know his reality, just like you heard in the testimony. You see, for the past couple of weeks, we've looked at what the Apostle Paul said to Jesus' followers in Corinth, people just like you and I. And he said to them in summary, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Jeffrey did a masterful job unpacking that last week. I'm proud of him. It's so good. Aren't you excited about the young people God is raising up? Who knows? There's a generation coming that is going to see the return of Jesus. Maybe we are raising that generation, some of us who are older right now. I love being a part of it. If you missed last week, you need to grab that message online. Verse 7, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now note this one. I think this is the most misunderstood and misused passage in all the New Testament. Because normally what people say is it doesn't matter how much I give, as long as I just decide in my heart and I can do it cheerfully. Doesn't matter how much or how little it is, that's all that matters I decide. And most people who say this don't give a whole lot, even though the scripture before said whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. I'm going to tell you right now that the person who has decided in his heart to give, the person who has decided has decided to live by the cycle. From what I know of God, I obey. From what I obey, I experience. From what I experience, I understand and I know God more. And I'm telling you, When people say that it doesn't matter how much I give, I think we're actually denying something Jesus actually one time said. Jesus talking to some religious leaders says, what are you teachers of the law and Pharisees? You hypocrites, you give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Now that word tithe right there, it means 10%. Tithe means 10%. So these religious leaders were very faithful. They were receiving income. Some of their income came in the form of spices. They would weigh out those spices and they would give a tenth of that to God. And you're beginning to wonder, how are they hypocrites? It had nothing to do with the tithe. Jesus continued, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus confronted them, not for the giving of the tithe, but the fact that they were using their tithe as an excuse not to do the other things God had called them to do. It's like they put some money 
in the offering bag or in our modern day, an offering box or online giving, even something as radical as 10%. And they were saying, well, I, I gave my money. I don't have anything else to do. And he's saying, you can't do that. It's with the totality of our lives that we have to be obedient. But notice how careful, carefully how Jesus wraps this up. He says, so you should have practiced the latter. What is the latter? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the what? The former, the tithe. Now look at that. Is Jesus not saying, my followers should do justice, mercy, faithfulness, and also tithe? And I know what many of us are thinking right now. You're going, whoa, big boy, back the truck up there. You said that word tithe means 10%. How in the world do you think I could do such a thing? Some things have to be experienced to be defined and understood. Say it another way. Tithing will only be understood when you tithe. See, I, I understand it, it just won't be understood any other way. I know you're saying right now, David, that is radical. Earlier in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. See, God calls us to radical things because he has not only done the radical for us, but there's more radical things he wants to do in our lives. He wants to do those in us, and he wants to do that through us, and he wants us to walk with faith. And before you automatically dismiss me as crazy, I want you to listen to the Father's heart. In the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God says to the Jewish people, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from me from my decrees and have not kept them. In other words, have not obeyed. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So there we have that thing of obedience again. We turn to God, we return to God by obeying based upon what he know, we know of his heart. Not that we understand how everything's going to turn out, but we trust his heart. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? In what? Tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Now, Hear that word curse there. It's not what we think. When we are in a place of disobedience, there are consequences to our disobedience. A curse is merely a consequence for a lack of obedience. As we obey God, we live less and less under curse and more and more in blessing. And if I ask you, you want to live under blessing, we'd go, yeah, we do that through this thing called obedience. See, that's why God gives us grace. He longs to impart. Hear me. Today, he is wanting to impart a grace to be obedient to him. And he wants that because he wants us to live as his children under more and more blessing, less and less under curse. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not open the flood of gates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Notice, tithe, 10% is connected to what word? Test. I learned this week something I've never seen in scripture. The number 10 is often tied to the idea of a test. I'll show it to you. You can participate with me. How many plagues did God send against Egypt and against Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would let his people go. How many? How many? Ten, right? Another way we can say it. How many ways did God test Pharaoh's heart? Another example. How many commandments formed the foundation of God's law that would test Israel's heart? How many? Ten, say it out loud. You got the idea. In the Old Testament story of Jacob, how many times did God change his wages? Ten. 
Now, don't look at me like you knew that, right? Some of you were hesitant say, I have no idea, but you were seeing the pattern that was going there. It was actually 10. How many days in the book of Daniel was Daniel tested? Say it. How many days of testing are there mentioned in the book of Revelation? 10. How many apostles did Jesus have? No, 12. I was just seeing. <laughs> you got to be listening, right? 10 is a number of testing. Every time we receive t income, a test. Do we trust God with everything? Or do we trust ourselves or money more? But here's what's interesting about this. This is what's unique. Tithing is actually a two-sided test. Not only are we tested, but we test God. This is the only arena of human existence where we test God. In every other arena, it is like God has said to us, I have done enough to prove my heart and my goodness to you. Don't you ask me to do anything else to prove myself in more ways. But there is one exception, money. In one area, listen to me, God says, test me. I dare you. I double dog dare you. I triple dare you. There's something I want to do in your life. Just test me. Step out in this. Why is that? Because humanity's tendency has always been. It's not just a 21st century American thing. It's not just a wealthy culture thing. It was true of the church in Corinth. It was true of the church in Jerusalem. It was true of the Old Testament Jewish people. It's true of people in the 17th century. It has always been humanity's tendency to trust money more than we trust God. And God wants to use this thing called money to show us that he alone can be trusted, that he wants our hearts in a place where he can pour out tremendous blessing on us and it doesn't destroy us. See, tithing says this radical thing. Tithing says that you can financially live better on 90% than on 100% when the first 10 percent goes to God. And I know what we're thinking right now. You're thinking, I can't afford to do that. Bingo. You cannot afford to tithe until you tithe. You obey, then you experience, and then you understand. See, tithing makes no sense. You can go get your Excel out when you go home. And you can put in all the formula and all your numbers and all your bills and try to take 10% away and try to figure it out. And it will not work out on an Excel spreadsheet because Excel does not have the God factor in its formula set. There's no way to put what God's going to do in the midst of that. But hear me, it's not just in finances where tithing works. Tithing says I will have breakthroughs in many areas of my life because I have trusted God first in an area where it's most difficult to trust God. Some of the growth we're longing for, some of the breakthrough we're looking for in our faith journey will happen as we trust God and trust our Father in our finances. Test me in this. In what? The tithes and the offerings, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw over the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you cannot contain it. To really understand this, you have to experience it. To experience it, you have to do what first? Obey. Tithing, an example of so many things in our Christian journey, is only understood when you tithe. Something hit me this week. As much as I hate it, I cannot preach us into understanding the things of God. No matter how creative I am, no matter how eloquent or, I know, lack of eloquence that I have, no matter how loud I am, no matter how soft I am, no matter how passionate I am, no matter how dispassionate I am, it matters not. I cannot preach us into understanding. All I can do 
is lay out as best we can what the scripture says. Encourage us to take a step of obedience and give us examples of where God has been faithful to those who have been obedient. But in the end, understanding for each one of us is going to come as we obey, we experience God individually, we understand. Listen, I believe this. If you've been around Beltway Park, you know I've got a long way to go on my Christian journey. I've got a lot of struggles, but this is an area where God has given me grace from the beginning of my journey. I, I don't have time to tell the story. I can just tell you as far as I know, I have tithed on every bit of income I've had since I was 15 years old. Again, this was the grace of God. I stumbled into it. It wasn't because I was so full of faith or full of anything. God just gave me grace for us. But I can do this. I can testify to you God keeps his word. I've been walking this journey with Jesus now for 40 years. God is faithful to his word. When we came to Beltway 23 and a half years ago, my wife and I took a 25% reduction in um, salary and benefits. It was that same year that the Lord challenged us with the thing called the, the offering. Remember, they asked the question, how have we been robbing you? And the scripture says in Malachi, in tithes and offerings. The tithe, the first 10% belongs to God. No matter how much you make, hey, if you think it's little, you think it's much, the scripture calls us to tithe. It's equal for every follower of Jesus no matter what. Offerings are what we give beyond our tithe as the Lord leads. And I know some of you think I just went from crazy to lunacy. It's like, dude, you went to 10 and now you're going more than that. I won the world's up. But I'm just telling you it's true because I've experienced it. That first year we came to Beltway Park, 25% reduction in income and benefits in our life. My wife and I felt the Lord challenge us to add a percent to our giving, moving from 10% to 11% in our, in our budget. Now hear me, that was our leading. I, I don't know how God will lead you. See, when, when the scripture says that each one must give what he's decided in his heart to give, what I think that means is first, I've decided in my heart I'm going to obey whatever I see in God's word. And the second part is, when I hear a prompting of the spirit, I'm going to follow the prompting of the spirit. That's how, what we've decided in our heart. We don't do it under compulsion because there's a cheerfulness of being obedient to what God wants. That's what God told us to do. I don't know what he'll tell you to do. But he told us to add a percent. I couldn't help but think, oh, Lord, we made a pretty big move this year already. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen our budget or not, but it's like 25% less than everything else. And, you know, in October, I was diagnosed with cancer and it's all great. Thank you for that so much. He was so grateful in that. But my insurance is like four times as much as it would have been without the cancer because we lost that benefit. It's, like, it's all messed up, Lord. Why would you pick this year to challenge us with the offering? And I heard test me in this as the Lord God Almighty to see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough room for it. I've experienced it. I've got this inside of me. God is faithful. Each year since we've been at Beltway Park, the Lord has called us to add a percent to our giving. And we've just each year kept adding a percent to our giving, and I can testify. That's our leading. I'm not telling anybody else you need to do that. I am just telling you I've seen it. God is faithful. I'm getting a little older. You can encourage me like saying, no, nah, you look good for an old dude. 
I look to the future. I'm confident God's going to provide. No matter what he calls me to, he's going to provide because I've seen it now. For 40 years, I've seen him provide. I'm confident. I know it. All I can do is encourage you. As much as I want to grab you and shove my experience inside of you, I cannot do it. All I can do is encourage you, test the Lord in this. God will open the floodgates of heaven. I promise you, you are going to see so much blessing in so many ways. I understand this is a huge step. And now, for over 30 years, I've been part of two churches, and we make an agreement with you. And that agreement is we so believe in this that we as a church will take the step with you. If you begin to tithe, and over the course of the next 90 days to six months, you find out you're not living as well on 90%, I will challenge you, you'll probably be doing better. But if you're not living as well on 90%, or for whatever reason you say, I want my tithe money back, no questions asked, you come tell me, and we'll write you a check, and we'll give your tithe money back. Say, David, you can't do that. Yeah, I can't test me in this, says the Lord. So if a church can't take a step with you, what can we do? Now, there are some caveats to that. Yeah, I thought there were some caveats. A little after. Number one, you got to give it here. Okay, I mean, I kind of make, you can't say, well, I gave it at so-and-so place and so-and-so place, so-and-so place. It's not working. I need you to give me the money. That's not going to happen. It's just real simple. The Bible says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You'll have to decide what the storehouse is. I believe it's the local church. I have been given to the local church long before I was being paid by the local church. I will give long after I'm not being paid by the local church. I believe it's the local church. You'll have to decide if you believe that's what it is. You give it to the local church, whatever your church is. If you're not part of Beltway Park, you're just a guest. It needs to go to your church, not to Beltway Park. Pure and simple. So it needs to come here. Second, you've got to give us a chance to have a record of it. Not because I'm, I don't know what anybody gets. I don't even have a password to know what anybody gets. Don't want to know. Elders don't know. We have a couple people in our business office that take care of that, etc. But we've got to be good stewards of what you give. So you can't come to us and say, like, dude, I gave like $100,000 in cash. <laughs> it didn't work, man, so I need my money back. We know if we get $100,000 in cash, okay? You get what I'm saying, right? We'll take that step with you. Pure and simple. And we'll do it because we want to see a breakthrough in your life. Now, I will tell you, I've never had anybody ask for their money back. It may happen someday. I'm okay with that. I've got so many years of experience of God doing breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough in people's lives. One incident of somebody asked for their money back won't change anything for me. I've seen God be faithful. But if you think the reason I'm doing this message is because um, we as a church need money, I'm going to tell you this, even if this is your church, you just feel released, you give it somewhere else. You don't, you don't need to give here. Um, you need to experience breakthrough. You need to experience blessings in your life. And so you receive the message and you give somewhere else. I, we're fine. I, I promise you that. The elders did not pull me aside and say, hey, David, have you seen the budget lately, dude? You're going to have to preach a good message. Some really, really good ones, dude, or, you know. All that kind of stuff. We're going to throw Jeffrey in the mix because you need some help, bro. Anyway, that's not what happened. Um, to be really honest, guys, we're taking huge steps towards all God has for us. Y'all heard us talk about our 2030 vision and the six extra things God has called us to do in part of that. Two of those we took a big step for this week. There's a, a facility at 20, South 23rd and Willis in Abilene um, that's been housing the Brook Hollow Christian Church for, I think, five decades now do some, some changes in their church. They needed to move facilities. We purchased that facility and closed in on it on Friday. We believe it'll house our first day care for low-income families and for foster kids, and it will be our first step towards our camp. So, yeah. 
And some of you are thinking, I knew it, you were going to ask for money. We're not going to ask for money. Because of your faithfulness and because of the stewardship of the elders, we have the money. See, we knew this was coming. And we've been doing it. It's a radical thing. It's called savings. You should try it sometime, okay? And we knew this was coming. We put away for it. And now God's provided the facility for us. I know it seems weird. Um, our, our buildings, North and South Campus, don't work well for our vision. It surprised me, but the Lord knew that. It's also going to house, we believe, our counseling center for children and teens. A lot of things are going to be done there. So I'm just telling you, it's incredible. I'll tell you more about it in the days to come, but I'm not asking for anything extra right now because we've got it. Now, to run this thing, <laughs> uh, the financial models do not work to do what we thought God's called us to do, except we've seen God be faithful where financial models do not work. And so we're going to take that step anyway. If we have a need, I promise you, we will come tell you about it. But I'm just telling you, this series has nothing to do with the financial need at Beltway Park Church. It has everything to do with the fact I want to see you flip the script. I and our elders long for us to walk with the mind of Christ. To walk with a strength and a confidence and a hope that we impart to a world that is so desperate and so needful. And so I just took the area under the Lord's leading that is most difficult to do it in and just say, I challenge you here. Test the Lord and see what he does here. Nothing seems to unlock blessings more in our lives than the tithe and the offering. And so what I'm going to do, ask to do at both campuses right now, just bow your heads. If you're online, I'll ask you to do the same thing. You can just relax right here. There's not going to be an emotional appeal for an offering. There's not going to be any card that I ask you to fill out. This is between you and God. I will repeat to you. I have no idea what any person, any family at Beltway Park does financially. Our elders do not know. You can go ask any, any one of them. I don't know what the elders do. I know one family at Beltway Park and what they do. Mine. It's not about that. I just want you to be ask this. God, is this true? That's the first thing you need to ask. First and foremost, just because I said it doesn't make it true. You need to go to the scripture. You need to test it. You need to look up scripture. I've given you some sermon series that I thought were incredible, a book that you can read. You can get other books as well, and you can decide. You just need to decide if this is true or not. True enough that you can take your step of obedience so you can experience God and understand him more. You're not going to know deep within how this works until you experience it. You're not going to be able to experience it until you obey. So just begin to ask God, God, if this is true. And I know there's a fear associated with it. I renounce that fear in Jesus' name. We are not of those who shrink back from the call of God. God will call us to radical things, but he's going to call us in this area so he can prove himself so we can take greater and greater steps. I can tell you with almost full certainty that if my family had not walked out this truth, I don't know that we're at Beltway Park right now. Because I don't think we would have taken the step of faith. God has spoken prophetically. He had called us to do it. But when you look at the things we looked at and the major changes it was for our family, there's no way we would have done it except we had seen God be faithful so often. And I can just tell you how this has translated to so many other areas of our Christian journey. That's all I want for you. So you decide if it's true. This, this series is done. This is it. If you're thinking praise God, that's awesome. 
ask yourself why we're so hesitant to let God in on this thing. And now I want you to ask God for faith to obey. Not just in the arena of finances. Many of us are stuck because we want to know God more. That's what we say. We want to know, but we're not taking the steps. We have to take the step of faith to obey because obedience will most often, I'm going to say 90% of the time, precede experience and understanding. And so God has called us to some things and we're trying to understand it more before we obey. And we need to base upon what we do know. We know from the cross and the resurrection the heart of God and how for us he is. And so I just ask for grace on all of us to be obedient. Maybe there's some steps of faith you're supposed to be taking right now. You know what they are? It may have nothing to do with money. Some of us have been tithing, tithing for a long time. We've seen God be faithful, but we've stuck in another step. Tell God you want to obey him there. Whatever that step may be, whatever it might be. And I encourage us to take the step to be present tonight, to worship and pray. Enter into this holiday season with thanksgiving and praise. It's going to be incredible. But I'm going to tell you, prayer is going to precede power. Prayer is going to precede breakthrough. It's another step of faith. So, Father, we love you. We do. And we want to grow. We want to know you. As the Apostle Paul said, I want to know you, Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to share in everything you are a part of in this world, even if it means to be weighted down and to suffer, Lord. I want to know you that much. And I know at some level we are all there. Father, we need an extra measure of grace to trust you in every arena of life. Finances is one arena. Father, we just lay our finances before you. I ask for every man and woman who's a part of this, who's listening later on, who's online, north and south campus, that you would just give a revelation, enough of a revelation that we could take a step. Just give us a grace to explore your word on this. And if there's a step to the tithe, Father, I ask that we take that step, not because it's about the finances, but because of all the things you want to do. And you want to take something as temporal as money, and you want to do something eternal and supernatural through our lives and in our lives. Give us grace to believe, Father, but in all arenas, let us be a people who walk in radical obedience to you. I've got so many areas, Father, where I need to be obedient. Forgive me where I've been disobedient, Lord. Forgive me where I've hesitated. And give me grace to take our steps of faith. We love you. We do. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you praised. We thank you, Father. Thank you for all the people who confessed you in baptism. This day, on Thursday, throughout this year, you are faithful, Lord. Grow us up and let our lives bring more and more glory to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.